This reading is from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. It's really good to see you. We are starting a new series this morning called A Faith Worth Sharing. And over the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at the, the mission of God in, in all of the world and the mission of the church in the world uh, that He has led us into. So we're going to be looking at evangelism, mercy ministries, church planting, and world missions for the remainder of the summer. And I don't know about you, but for, for some of us, this can be a, a topic that's fairly difficult uh, to, to think about sharing our, our faith in, in a culture like ours might be overwhelming or intimidating. To find our place in God's grand world mission can, can almost paralyze us in a sense. Uh, in, our, in our secular culture, we can think, should we even share our faith or is that intolerant? Is that imposing our belief system on other things, just trying to convert people to our way of life? And even if we do believe in sharing the faith, how do we, how do we go about it in a, in a healthy and a biblical and effective way? How do we do mercy ministry, mer ministry among the, the poor and needy and marginalized in a way that's, that's uplifting and, and beautiful and, and not further harmful or damaging? So many thoughts and so many questions and objections and fears can come rushing into our minds. And maybe you've even heard the phrase and been compelled by the phrase, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. I don't know if you've heard that. As it turns out, that's not in the Bible. Uh, it's actually never been clearly attributed to anybody in church history. 
I think we can conclude that it's just from the devil, you know, kidding, not kidding. But even if, even if we do agree that sharing our faith is important and good and beautiful, how do we do it? What does that look like in our own lives? And so this, this series, as I say a lot at the start of a new series, this series is for you. If you hear evangelism and, and world missions and church planning and you think, okay, that's, that's for other people, that's for the campus ministers and the career missionaries, no, this is for you. This is for, for all of us. And so if you struggle, if you wrestle with evangelism, if you felt like you've never really successfully led somebody to the Lord or you feel a, a sense of guilt or even shame every time this topic comes up, I mean, this series is for you, and I hope that it's encouraging and life-giving. Maybe even you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, and you're thinking, well, this is awkward. They're talking about me. And we are, and we are so glad you're here, and we love you enough to tell you that we think there is a way of salvation. And we're not just trying to convert you to our way of thinking, but rather God has revealed himself in Jesus that eternal life is at hand, it is possible, and all we have to do is believe. And we want you to experience all of the life and joy that we find in our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And so if that's you, we are so glad you're here. When we think about God's love for us, expressed through Jesus. We have a faith worth sharing. When we think about our, our secular, progressive university town, we still have a faith worth sharing. When we think about our coworkers, our neighbors, our cycling teams, our family members, we have a faith worth sharing. When we think about people far off in other nations and unreached people groups, we have a faith worth sharing. And so today we're going we're gonna to get into this huge, massive topic, but we're going to begin by just looking at how the early church began. How, how were they prepared for this mission? And so we're looking at that text we just read, Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at the story of mission, a faith worth sharing, and then preparing your life for mission. So the story of mission, a faith worth sharing, and preparing your life. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into Acts 1. Father, we thank you, and we praise you for creating this world to reflect you and your glory, and then for lavishing your grace on us when we have turned against you. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you devoted your earthly life to preaching the kingdom and expressing it in acts of love and mercy. And we praise you and thank you for laying down your life for us. Holy Spirit, we know there is no mission apart from you. There is no power or fruitfulness apart from you. And so again, we say, come Holy Spirit, fill us, give us your own mind and heart. And Lord God, would you shape us? Would you make us a more Christ-like people over the course of this series, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start with the, the story of mission, and we'll pick it up right in Acts 1, verse 1, and this is written by Luke, 
And he starts his book like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so Luke is a, a historian, and he has been, been sort of hired by Theophilus, probably a, a wealthy Greek person, to look into this story of Christianity. And so book one is the Gospel of Luke, where Luke, as he says, began, or writes about what Jesus began to do and teach. And then book two is the Acts of the Apostles, and by extension, Luke is saying that this is all that Jesus continued to do through his earliest followers. So in Acts, Jesus is still speaking, he's still ministering, but he's doing it through his apostles and through the early church. Uh, John Stott writes this, Luke's first two verses in Acts are therefore extremely significant. It's no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These religions regard their founder as having completed his ministry in his lifetime. Luke says that Jesus only began his after his resurrection, ascension, and the gift of the Spirit. He continues his work through the church of every period and place. This then is the one we believe in, the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. And so in this series, we're just going to focus on Luke and Acts. Out of all the places we could go in the scriptures, we're going to focus on what Jesus did when he encountered people with the gospel in Luke, and then how Jesus continues to encounter people today and how he did it through the early church in the book of Acts. And so we see in, in verse 40, Jesus has just completed 40 days after his resurrection, teaching and training his disciples. In verse 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. And so the, the key phrase for our mission here is that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. That's a, that's a big word for us in this series, witnesses. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? If, if you think about, if you ever witnessed a crime and then were, were called upon to give a, a formal legal report of that, you would be a witness. That's a, that's a primary way that we use the word witness in our culture. But if you think about it, we are, we are witnesses every single day. We are consistently witnessing to the things that have captured our hearts and mind. You see a new show on Netflix that you like, and, and you want to share about it, right? Uh, you have a, a baby. You want to get those new baby pictures on Instagram as quick as possible. Or if you're a grandparent, you're like, you're like shaking and twitchy until you can show the next person a picture of your new grandbaby. Or if you complete a massive ride like Mount Evans in Colorado, the highest paved road in North America, you find casual ways to just drop it out in sermons. <laughs> we, are, we are witnesses at the core of our being. We have valuable information. We have proximity to something significant. And it's our privilege to serve as witnesses. 
Now, when we look at the Bible from beginning to end, we see God seeking to reach and restore people into his care, into his family. Richard Bachman says that the entire storyline of the Bible can be described as from one to many. The Old Testament gives us three examples. God singles out one single man, Abraham, but then expands his blessing to an entire family. And so God then establishes a single nation, Israel, but then he expands the blessing to all nations on earth. God establishes a king over one city, Jerusalem, but then he expands that blessing to a new king, Jesus, over all the cities and countries of earth. The New Testament adds another example. From this one small gathering in Jerusalem, it says 120 believers were present after the resurrection of Jesus. Now the church has multiplied into hundreds of thousands of churches in every nation on earth, from one to many, one man, one family, one church. And now we have the only truly international multi-ethnic religion in the history of mankind. Literally hundreds of millions of people worshiping Jesus every single Sunday. In all these examples, God is doing from one to many. But if you also think about the people that are involved in this, it's remarkable. In every example that I just gave, God uses the, the most unlikely, the lowliest people that you could ever imagine him using for something like this. Israel was a tiny nation among strong, advanced societies with their militaries, and yet God was with Israel. David was the smallest and unlikeliest brother in the family, but God chose him. The disciples were uneducated, ordinary people, you know, no resources, no money. But Acts 4 says, but they had been with Jesus. There's really only one hero in the Bible. It's the one that was sent from heaven. Everybody else is a mess. I mean, the most unlikely people are the ones that God chooses to carry out his eternal plan. From one to many, we're drawn in to know him, and then we're sent out to make him known. That's the, the pattern of mission. That's what it means to be witnesses. We see something, and then we talk about it. Now, the second thing is this faith of ours, this faith worth sharing, and this calling that we have. It says again in verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, which is the city they're in, and in all Judea, which is the region or country that they're in, in Samaria, which was a place that was poor and needy and overlooked. It was really considered the, the enemy territory by Israelites and to the ends of the earth, literally, literally everywhere on earth. And we know from Matthew 28 that Jesus also said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so think about this. Jesus' very last words on earth before he descends right back up into heaven before their very eyes, it's, it's a commandment. 
It's, it's a command to, to share the faith and to make disciples to the ends of the earth. He didn't leave by saying, okay, guys, it's going to be hard, so just, just hang on until I'm back. Just try to survive. And he didn't say, just, just love one another and the church. That's all you have to do, just love each other. I mean, he did command us to love one another, but that's not what he left us with. He didn't say, study theology, make sure your, your doctrine is, is perfect. It'll take you a couple thousand years, but just really focus on the doctrine. You know, he, he didn't even say, you know, we just sang the song, good God, I love this song. But there's this line, all we have to do is rest, which is absolutely true in terms of our salvation. All we have to do is receive. We add nothing to our salvation. Jesus does it all. All we have to do is rest in relationship to God and our salvation. And yet Jesus' final words were, were not all you have to do is rest. Just rest and I'll take care of everything. His very last words to us, you will receive my power and you will be my witnesses. In the city where you live, in, in the region where you are, both urban and rural, among the people that would naturally be your enemies or just not people in your own social group, even to the ends of the earth, this is what I'm calling you, commanding you to do. But he also says this, and, and I, so many times when we think about the Great Commission, we forget about this line, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so in the weeks that are, that are coming, we're going to look at the faith itself, the message of the gospel that we share. But I want to I just focus in on the actual sharing of that message, the sharing of the gospel. And this phrase that we're using, a faith worth sharing, this is the title of a book by Jack Miller, who is one of my uh, sort of mentors in the faith that I've never met. I've got a few of those. Um, but he wrote this book, A Faith Worth Sharing, literally as he was dying. He was in a hospital. He was surrounded by his kids, and they were just asking him to share stories. And he started to, to just tell the most remarkable stories of people he had led to faith over the years. His kids collected the stories. He typed out some notes before he passed away. But the book has all these wild stories of him leading people to faith. He talks about working at a, at a low-income soup kitchen as a, a teenager, leading people to faith that were three times his age. He talks about being in California in the 60s and doing everything he could to bring hippies to the Lord and into the church. He talks about how in 1979, when Uganda was finally free and opened as a country, that they were the first ones to go in and share Christianity and plant churches. He tells the story of picking up this, this young guy who was hitchhiking on the highway, sharing the gospel with him, inviting him to live with him and his children, and he leads him to Christ, mentors him personally, and then the little hitchhiker guy marries one of his daughters, becomes a church planner and pastor, and is like still in ministry today. Just like wild, remarkable stories of faith and risk. And so Miller describes sharing the faith in three steps. The first is building friendships. He wrote, the first stage is sometimes ignored by Christians. Building friendships can be a slow, humbling process when we do little more than hope and wait. In fact, we may be cast into uncomfortable roles and need to lean on strangers who do help us. This is not pleasant, but it builds relationships that are deep and caring. 
Now, second, he says, is sharing the gospel. He writes, the next stage is the one where we confront our new friends with the truth of the gospel. Waiting prepares us to confront the conscience and establishes our credibility as messengers of the cross. Now we must talk honestly with others about the wonderful reality of heaven, the dreadful reality of hell, and insist that faith in Christ is the only way to experience eternal life. And so building friendships, sharing the gospel, and then third is inviting non-Christians into community. He writes, what really convinces others of the truth of the Christian message is not our perfection. It's not our rational arguments, but it's our willingness to love them where they are and introduce them to a community of faith. God does not want us to share our faith as independent supermen or superwomen, but as brothers and sisters together in God's family. And so these are the three steps, building friendships, sharing the gospel, inviting people into community. And these three things are not just steps that have to happen in that order, but rather you can do this in any order. We talk about this in our membership class. Sometimes you might spend years developing and building a friendship before you share the gospel or invite somebody to church. Other times you might meet somebody and just invite them straight to church and then they hear the gospel and relationship deepens. Other times you might just start with the gospel and share the gospel with somebody and then the other steps follow. But sharing our faith involves these three steps every time. Friendship, speaking, and inviting into community. So these are the three steps, but there's another component that we have, to, we have to remember. And it's not so much a step as much as something that you do along every step, and it's prayer. Remember Jesus' words, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, wait until you have power. Wait until you have the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Spirit, apart from from my power, you will be utterly ineffective in everything you try to do. See, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes people. It's not exactly our words. It's not our our having the right combination of of argumentation or or compelling people to believe a certain truth. It's, It's the role of the Spirit to bring conviction and illumination and change somebody's heart and mind. And so we do our part to build the relationship and share. But apart from prayer and apart from the Spirit, nothing will happen. And that's exactly what the early church did in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so in a sense, sharing our faith is one of the simplest things we do. We build friendships, share the gospel, invite into community, and pray continually. And yet being simple is not the same as being easy. If you've ever shared your faith or tried to share your faith, you know how difficult it can be. And so the final thing is about preparing our lives. What does it look like to prepare your life for mission? I think too often we're we're like the disciples in this passage in verse 11 where it says that they were staring up into heaven. And apparently they're staring so long that the angels have to come. I mean, like angels come. We only see that a few times in scriptures. 
But apparently the father's like, all right, guys, go down there again. And the angels say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And so I think we can be like those disciples too. Just sort of standing there, overwhelmed, not sure what to do next. Afraid to get it wrong, afraid to say the wrong thing or, or, or to go to the wrong place. Just not knowing where on earth to begin. And so the angels come down and they're like, just do something. Just get started. And of course, the getting started still looks like waiting and praying. But it's so easy for us to just feel overwhelmed with the enormity of the task. And so a few points of of application. And first, again, is simply to prepare your life. Prepare your life for mission. Uh, Tim Keller long ago wrote a a 200-page Bible study on the book of Acts. It was never published, but you can find it online. It's like the uncut version. There's typos all over the place. I love it. But at the beginning, he emphasizes this need for preparation. He says, we're told here that Jesus put the apostles through a period of training and instruction, verse 3, before he sent them the power of the Spirit, verse 8. It's often forgotten that the intensive training occurred before the power of Pentecost began. There is no power without truth. The job of the Spirit is to take the truths about Jesus and make them vivid, glorious, and affecting to our hearts. And so Jesus really spent his whole earthly ministry preparing his disciples by the example of his life, by his conversations, by his teachings, by his concern for the poor and needy. And for us to prepare our lives means looking at the life of Jesus, looking at the teachings of Jesus, immersing ourselves in what he did and what he taught, how he carried out his life on earth, and praying that the Spirit would prepare us too to live in the sort of way that Jesus lived. And so first, prepare your life. Second, pray for power together. Our passage ends there, verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer. Sam Storm showed us last Sunday that we are partnering with God through prayer in the shaping of the history of the world. That God waits to fulfill His global, eternal promises until we pray. He loves to act in response to our prayers. And so there is no fulfillment of the Great Commission apart from prayer. There's no fruitfulness in your own evangelism apart from prayer. There's no power in local churches, no fullness of the Holy Spirit apart from prayer. So that's the second thing is to pray. The third thing is to remain in community. Do this in community. Keller writes, notice that the preparation came in the context of community. They did not learn and grow into their sentness, their identity as sent as individuals. They received both the necessary truth and power in community. And so throughout this series, we want to encourage you to, to talk through this in your community groups, to wrestle through this in your community groups. Through the the discussion questions we provide, through the conversations you have, and just through praying together. We we have this sort of secret weapon in sharing our faith, and it's the people of God. 
It's, it's community. It's, it's even your own community group. They are one of the greatest resources you have in faith sharing. Now, fourth thing, strategically focus on a few relationships. Acts 17, 26, and 27 says that we have all been placed in our unique times and places for the sake of people finding God. And so what that means is that you have been placed in this very generation, in this country, in your neighborhood, in your very house or apartment, in your exact job where your desk is in this exact place relative to other people, with these exact set of friendships and family relationships around you for the sake of sharing your faith so that people might come to Christ. And so there is literally no one better positioned to be you than you. Like you are in the exact right spot where God has placed you to reach the people around you. And there is no one better to reach the people around you than you. One of the things I think is really helpful is, is to sort of make a list or a mission plan. John, do you mind putting that up on the screen? You probably can't read all of it, and that's fine. Another kind of just quick handwriting. But what you can do is put together your own personal mission plan where you can say, who are the friends in my life that I would love to see come to Christ? You write them out. Who are the neighbors around me? We don't have a lot of neighbors, as you can see. Most of them are in church. Who are the family members I want to see come to Christ? What are ways that I can be involved in mercy and justice? Uh, I list a book that I'm reading and some ways I'm looking to get involved. In terms of world mission, what's a way that I can learn and grow? One of my roles is in caring for missionaries. Jesse and I are going to El Salvador in the fall to do some missionary care and training. How can I be involved in our public schools? What are some places within the school community where I can be involved? And you can write down a handful of things. They'll come to you fairly quickly. And as you do, the point is not to be overwhelmed by all the relationships and roles and opportunities, but just to put them down on paper and begin to pray for each one. Maybe each day of the week you take a different group or a different responsibility and you pray over that group. And as you do, likely you'll see that two or three or five people are, are really soft to the gospel. And you really start to, to press into those relationships. We can get so overwhelmed thinking about the need of people that don't know Christ and the need of world missions, but just to get started somewhere and to strategically focus on a few relationships. All right, here's the fifth thing. Discover God's heart for the nations. Throughout this series and over several weeks in July, we're going to be looking specifically at God's heart for all nations to be restored to Him and to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. We're going to see God's heart for every tongue, tribe, and nation to be welcomed into this global family. July is going to be our first ever missions month here as a church. And one of the things we're going to do is hear from all the missionaries that we support around the world. It's just three families, but one of them is actually in town over the summer, and they're going to come spend a weekend with us, be here on a Sunday, and you're going to get to, to hear from them. And so we hope and pray that this open, opens your eyes to the incredible responsibility and the incredible privilege of reaching the nations with the gospel. All right, number six, and this is the last thing. I know six points of application is a lot. 
It's the beginning of a series. It won't all be like this. Here's number six. Live beyond your comfort zone. At least I'm ending on a, a nice easy one, right? Live beyond your comfort zone. Live in such a way that you actually require the Holy Spirit. The best way to grow your prayer life is to live beyond your comfort zone so that you desperately need prayer. I mean, put yourselves in, in situations and relationships and conversations where you're thinking, oh no, I really need help outside of myself. If God doesn't show up right now, I am absolutely in trouble. I desperately need God to break through in this moment. Building relationships with people outside the faith. It often looks like bearing with people who might be difficult or who might rub you the wrong way or might not be your most natural friends. It requires prayer and dependence. I mean, sharing your faith with your co-workers, maybe it's before or after work or in another setting, especially this takes so much prayer and dependence. Sharing the gospel with your family members prayer and dependence. Finding your place in God's world mission, prayer and dependence. Live in such a way that you need the presence of the Holy Spirit and you will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, every one of us was brought to Christianity by someone else. I mean, God, God can do all sorts of wild things and He does all sorts of wild things, but He almost always always uses human beings, especially in bringing people to faith. It comes through an ordinary, nervous, stumbling person inviting another person to church, sharing the gospel, trying to, to get the words out before they lose track of them, inviting them to coffee or lunch or whatever it is. Jesus has given us this calling, this mission. We are witnesses. And as a church, for us as a congregation, we have this, this incredible body of believers and this incredible moment in which to bring people into the church. I mean, we are actually in the best possible spot as a church to see people joined to faith and to this body from outside the church. I mean, it's like we're, we're not where we were in the very first year where we meet in a living room and it's like 12 people, which is not for everybody, I understand. Super thankful for those of you who bore with us in that stage and got us through it. But we're also not so far down the line that we're worried about all these other things. We're kind of right in the sweet spot. Almost all the, the research and literature that's been written on this says years 5 to 20 are the most fruitful in the life of a church the most evangelistically fruitful in the life of a church. Hopefully this is a place where you feel like you can bring your non-Christian friends without ex having to explain a whole lot of things, like just so you know, this is going to happen. You know, I know we have, we've been through tongues, we've been through some hard stuff, you hung in there, you did great. But hopefully you don't feel like, hey, let me explain all these weird things that are going on. No, we want you to feel comfortable bringing people here bringing them into your community group, bringing them into the life of the church. Remember, God, God could have just pulled us right up into heaven when he, when he saved us. At the moment of us coming to, to a knowledge of Christ and union with Christ, he could have just, just taken us right up. And he didn't. 
And he leaves us here, and we are still here because we have a mission, because we are his witnesses in a world who needs witnesses. This is how he has chosen to bring about his eternal purposes. We have a God worth knowing. We have a a Savior worth following. We have a a Holy Spirit worth trusting. We have a, a faith that's worth sharing. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you that you found us, that you reached us, and that you brought us to yourself. Lord, maybe even now we think of those people who took a, took a risk to share their faith with us. Whether it was somebody fumbling over coffee or, or a, a campus minister handing out tracts or sharing the gospel on campus. Maybe it was our own parents who, who sought to raise us and, and speak to us in all those little opportunities about who you are. Lord, we thank you and praise you for those that you have used to bring us into life, into eternal life. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this church and for the the bold and courageous ways in which they have stepped out in faith to speak, to serve, to take risks, to, to risk rejection from people they know and love. And Father, would you just lead us more and more by the power of your Spirit into a life that's evangelistic and merciful and missional in all these ways. Lord, would you be with us and would you bless us with your presence in this series? Would you draw more and more people to yourself in Columbia and everywhere else, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.